0: You know, Ephesians chapter 3, just continue in the spirit of what we just sang about. Powerful lyrics, really powerful lyrics. Reminds me of Ephesians chapter 3 that says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love... Now check this part out. This is Ephesians chapter 3 verse 18. It says, um, being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Not some of it, not a drop of it, not a little bit of it, but all of the fullness of God. May you be filled today by the fullness of God. And verse 20, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. And the church said? Amen. And the church said? Amen. Amen. Church, it's good to be in the house of the Lord today together. Hey, I encourage you right now, turn, say hello to somebody, say, I'm glad you're at church, and you can have a seat. Good to be at church. Good to be here. Hey, I've been looking forward to being here all week. I've been looking forward to this, excited about this. Welcome to Thorn Creek Church. It's a good day to be in the house of the Lord today together. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so, hey, we're doing something here pretty soon. Before we get into the message, I just want to tell you about this. There's this small thing in the church coming up called Easter. Not really small. It's actually huge, right? It's like the Super Bowl for churches. Uh, We're going to celebrate the fact that Jesus went to the grave and rose again, right? And because of that, we have what? We have salvation. We have life. We have forgiveness of sins. We have this new birth in us through Jesus. So we're going to celebrate that together. But we're not just going to do it in one day. We're not just going to do it in two days. We're not just going to do it in three days. We're going to do it over the course of nine days together. We're just going to celebrate together. So. Uh, We've got this thing coming up called Holy Week. So check this out. April 1st is Palm Sunday, which is actually Saturday. But we're going to celebrate Palm Sunday. And then you've got April 2nd. And then Holy Week starts Monday through Friday. We're going to have services here in this room um, Monday through Friday at 630. Um, we're also going to be streaming those um, services online, live. They're actually going to be live online, which is pretty cool. So if you need to watch from home, can't make it for whatever reason, we don't want you to miss for any reason at all. Make this available to you. Live.thorncreek.church. um you can watch our online services. And then, of course, we've got Easter 8 and 9. So do the math. This is nine days straight of worship services, 11 services in total we're praying for revival, church. We're praying that God does some really beautiful work. Uh, This room's going to look totally different. I don't want to blow the surprise, but I'll just tell you for Holy Week, expect something different uh, when you walk in this place. It's going to be pretty cool and special. We're putting a lot of work and a lot of thought into Holy Week, um, into this whole thing. So we want you to be part of this and what God is going to do here um, that week. Um, To transition kind of into our teaching time, you guys may not have noticed, or you may have noticed, I'm not Pastor Rubin. Um, I know, it just blew your mind. Uh, my name is Nick McCall. I, I'm the worship pastor here. I just have the opportunity to uh, bring the word today, which I'm grateful to do. Um, pastor Ruben and his family are away on a much-needed, much-deserved time of rest. Um, they're on vacation this week. Pastor Rubin will be back next weekend, um, but they're away resting right now. Um, There's something you need to know about this family. Can I just brag on our pastor and his family for a little bit with you? Um, They're amazing. They're amazing. Um, I know this family intimately. I know them well. Um, I share a house with two of them. Uh, I live with two of them. So I don't just see them at church. You know, I see them at home. And um, they are some of the most genuine, God-loving, God-fearing, faithful people I have ever known. Maybe the most, in fact. Uh, Really wonderful people. Pastor Ruben, I was thinking about him and I thought, he's the only person on this planet who God has ever given the vision for this church to. Can you imagine the weight and the burden that that is, that he carries? Um, He did the math and he's been preaching every week somewhere, whether it was here or at at a retreat or at another church or whatever. He's been preaching somewhere every week for the last nine months without a break, without stopping, which. Yeah, which, you know, he's grateful to do it. Please hear that. He loves you. He loves preaching God's word. He loves what he does. But you need to understand there is a exhaustion. There's a physical, a, a spiritual, and an emotional exhaustion that just comes from doing this week after week after week. I mean, most weeks on Monday morning, he comes in early and he's starting next week's message already. You know, he just finished preaching Sunday and he starts again on Monday. So he's, uh, he's always in it. Um, but he's the real deal. He's a real deal. He loves this church very much. He loves the Lord. Um, He leads our staff and our church so well, and I know that he spends a lot of time in prayer. I find him on his knees often um, just praying. So just know we have an amazing pastor. We really do. We have an amazing staff. Our staff here is incredible. Um, If it's been a while since you've prayed for your pastors, pray for your pastors. If it's been a while since you've thanked them, thank them. Um, the best and worst part about ministry is sometimes the people, right? Um, We love you all um, so much so that we will often sacrifice for you because we love you, we care about you. So anyway, this is just the weight that he carries. And and I'll be honest, and I'm going to get to the message here soon, I promise. Um, I'll be honest, you know, whenever I preach here on the weekend, the week leading up to is, is usually a more difficult week for me. It's because when you preach the word, when you put yourself out there, when you say yes to the Lord, you become a greater target for the devil. And um, the devil's real. And the way he works, the way he attacks, the good news is he's predictable, right? I kind of knew it was coming. Uh, The bad news is they come, the attacks come. So it was like every time I sat down to work on this this week, something happened in the morning of or prior to that kind of pulled me away from this. But you know what that means? God's going to use it. It means it's a good word because the Lord's in it and the Lord's using this. So um, I'm really excited to preach this. Um, So would you join me in prayer uh, before we dive into God's word together? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. Jesus, I thank you that you are God. I thank you that you love us, you see us, you care for us. Lord, I'm grateful to be here. I don't take this lightly. I, I feel the weight and the responsibility. And so, Lord, my prayer right now that you would help me. Would you push me aside, Lord? And would you just use me as a vessel and um, show me the hearts of the people in this room today, Lord? Show me their hearts and show me what the word they need to hear. And if you want me to go off script, Lord, you let me go off script. And you just lead me and guide me, direct me. Um, have your way in this message. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right. So if you're just joining us, we're in a series right now called Red Letters. Um, which is focusing specifically on the words of Jesus. If you're new to the Bible, um, if you look in the in the New Testament, when you see those red letters in there, those are the words of Jesus. so we're we're spending a lot of time in, over these next several weeks just really diving into those words of Jesus as we look forward to Easter. So today we're in John chapter 15 um, verses one through eight. I couldn't cover the whole chapter in, in our you know four hours together, so I just figured I'll just cover the first eight verses. I'm just kidding. I won't preach that long. Um, Just two hours. So verse one, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. and my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. First eight verses of John chapter 15. There's so much here to unpack. It's ridiculous. Um, so Jesus starts right off the bat with saying, "I am the true vine." Um, you could interpret this passage in, in, in one way. You could you could think to yourself, you know, there's a lot of different vines that we find ourselves connected to. And we can connect to them super easily if we're not careful. There's all these different things that are just begging for our attention. Let's be honest, in our world today, there's no shortage of stuff begging for your attention. There's no shortage of worry. There's no shortage of stress. There's no shortage of fear. There's no shortage of struggle, of anxiety, of pain, of anguish. There's no shortage of things that we can just attach ourselves to and become gripped with. Um, there's, there's people that I know. Uh, don't go to church here, but there's people that I know that are so attached to the news Like every time I talk to them, every time they want to tell me what's happening around the world. Every time. It's like all they think about, which, you know, it's good to be informed. I'm not saying don't be informed. But there's a point where you become too attached to something that there's this whole other vine, the Word of God, Jesus, the church, that really is the most important thing. And oftentimes if we're too connected to these other things, we find ourselves becoming easily disconnected from the most important thing. Be connected to the vine, which is Jesus. When Jesus says, I am the true vine, in verse 1, that's really important. It's significant that he says true vine. That He doesn't just say, I'm the vine. And the reason behind this is if you study the Old Testament, oftentimes Israel is um, compared in this imagery to a vine. And the intention for Israel was to be this fruitful vine, Israel was supposed to be, you know, God's chosen people that were gonna display his character, that were gonna display his love, that were gonna display his forgiveness, his grace, his truth. The intention was they were to be the fruitful vine through which God could use to, to bear fruit through the rest of his people. But oftentimes, when you look in the Old Testament and you see them compared to a vine, it's not positive, it's negative. It says, you were supposed to bear fruit. You were supposed to be fruitful, but yet you found yourself grumbling, complaining, sinning, making other gods, worshiping other things, falling short. So they they found themselves oftentimes not producing fruit. So Jesus says, no, 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 no. I am the true vine. You are rooted in no one else but me. When you read scripture, you see that Jesus often makes connections to the Old Testament. One connection I'll just point out to you, the Israelites spent 40 years in the wilderness. Surprise, surprise, in the New Testament, Jesus spends 40 days in the wilderness. The 40 years, were the Israelites perfect? Absolutely not. For 40 days, was Jesus perfect? Absolutely. What was supposed to be over here ended up becoming over here. The intention over here was to be something. It failed because people, humans, were flawed. Sorry if I'm the first one to tell you that. We're flawed. Jesus is perfect. So Jesus fulfills it in every way. So Jesus says, I am the true vine. It's me. Find your purpose, find your identity, find it in me. Here in John, the vine is used to paint a different picture. It's to show this intimate relationship between Jesus and believers. And it's a, it's a really, what I love about it is it's really easy for us to like, see and understand and connect with. So when Jesus says, I am the true vine, he's telling them that, that he is the one who will be what, what they were supposed to be. He's fulfilling everything. In other words, what I love about this is Jesus kind of corrects every wrong and makes everything right. And so what this means for you and for me is that your past mistakes, your current mistakes, and your future mistakes do not in any way prevent you from being used and loved and connected to Jesus because we're flawed. You know the whole reason we need a Savior is because we can't save ourselves We can't. That's why we need a Savior. It makes sense, right? We can't save ourselves. We can't be good enough. We can't save ourselves from ourselves. We can't save ourselves from our sin. We need a Jesus. And here's the good news. Your life starts right now, and you have everything you need to produce good fruit. You have everything you need. No more excuses. Jesus has given you everything you need to produce fruit for him. And Jesus makes this possible, but truthfully... When Scripture is talking about fruit here, we're not talking about like apples and oranges and mangoes. We're talking about producing things that are God-honoring, things that worship to God. And truthfully, your fruit comes when you fully surrender your heart and your life to Jesus. That word surrender is so important. It's this place of saying, God, you can have everything. You can have all of me. I surrender everything to you. And that's when God produces fruit in you. Jesus continues um, verses one and two, and, and he says, you know, he's the vine. He says, I am the true vine. And then he says, God, verse verse one, the end of it says, And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. So now you're putting this together. You're thinking about this. You're like, okay, wait a minute. God is the gardener. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches that branch off of the vine. But there's this sentence in here that's hard for us. Because what we just read is, if Jesus is the vine, we are the branches. God is the gardener. Verse 2, he cuts off every branch in Jesus that bears no fruit. That's a hard one for us. What does that mean, really? What is this saying here? Bible scholars disagree on whether this is talking about the end of life, the end of time, or if it's talking about our life right now. There's different, based on you know, your theological beliefs, based on where you think. I tend to believe that it's, we have every opportunity to be saved. I tend to believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. That he made it possible for us to experience forgiveness. I, I don't believe it's ever too late until we're, we're gone. <laughs> We have every opportunity, and Jesus is constantly extending His love and His grace to us, and says, "Come to Me. My arms are open. I will forgive. I will redeem your life out of the pit. You are Mine. You are chosen. I believe that." Um, And God is this gardener. Some um, some translations instead of gardener say vine dresser, uh, which I actually like better. Jesus is the vine. God's the vine dresser. Makes the vine more beautiful. Um, And we are the branches. Does anybody here like to garden? Anybody good at gardening? Anybody not good at gardening? Yeah, you're my people. I understand you. I get you. Uh, I've tried, and I'm horrible. I I think I killed a succulent one time, which I didn't even know was possible, because people say, like, you barely water it, and you don't even need to put it in the sun. And yet I killed it. So um, I, I do not have the gift of gardening, but my grandmother does. She was amazing at this. I remember when I was younger, um, you know, she's a believer, and she would often try to you know, tell me stories about the Bible, and she would compare it to gardening, and she'd use this passage. I remember that. Um, but she was so good at gardening, she had these gardens everywhere. She had one in the front yard. She had multiple gardens in the backyard. She had planter boxes everywhere. And she would spend hours every week just tending to her garden. It was therapy for her. Those of you who garden, you get it. You understand. It's therapeutic. It's therapeutic. But I was always amazed, and even now as I'm older and I think back on it, she always knew exactly what each plant needed. She knew whether they needed to be planted in direct sunlight or they needed to be more in the shade. She knew how much was too much water and how much was just enough water. She knew the branches that needed to be cut. She knew that the parts that needed to be pruned. And and I remember as I was talking to her, she would explain to me I would say, Grandma, why are you killing your plant? And she'd say, I'm not killing it, I'm pruning it. And I'd say, but you're cutting parts off of it. She said, yeah, these parts, they're not growing. And the problem is they're taking nutrients from the rest of the plant and they're wasting those nutrients. Because the good parts of the plant that are flourishing, and she'd show me, see this flower, see how well this flower is doing, and see this branch, how it's kind of withering. She'd say, this withering branch over here is hurting the rest of the plant. So i got to remove it. Because I got to make sure that the right nutrients are being sent to the right place. And I thought, man, that's it. That's exactly what God is doing in us and through us, right? We are these branches. And the whole intention, God looks at us and he says, wow, this is beautiful. But there's that part of you that I got to remove. Because the problem with that part of you is it's actually sucking the nutrients out of you. It's preventing you from producing more fruit. It's preventing those parts of you that are doing really well, those parts of you that are really good, but yet you've got this addiction back here. You've got this anger problem back here. You've got this lack of faith back here. You've got this alcohol problem back here. You've got this other issue hanging on to your life, and what it's doing is it's, it's taking the nutrients out of you. It's Sucking all of that out. So God is the gardener. He's always looking at the the fruit. He's always looking at the health. And he says, you don't need that. Let me remove that. Let me have that. God's the gardener. Check this out. It says, um, uh, God is the gardener of your soul. He sends the right amount of rain. Puts you in the right soil. Gives you the right amount of sunlight. You have everything you could ever need. Now your job is to abide in Jesus. God says, look, I love you. I've put you here in this time, in this season. You're here for a reason. I believe that I have you here. And and I believe that I can use you here. And he knows everything that you need. Oftentimes, we don't always trust the gardener. We think we know what's better. We think this branch over here that's like this, that's that's not flourishing, but yet it's something that we have almost assumed as part of us now. God, that's just part of me. I'm always going to have this problem. And we want God to just look past that branch. We want God to just ignore it. (laughs) Pretend it's not there. Because God, look at all these other parts. See these beautiful flowers? See these grapes? See all this wonderful stuff that I'm doing over here? And God's like, yeah, but, but you've got this other part of you here that's not good for you. That's sucking the life out of you. And I want to take that life and I want to put it where, where, where you're flourishing. There's a lot of areas that we could talk about with this. It could be all kinds of things. It could be a relationship in your life that you need to cut out because it's sucking the life out of you. Could be an addiction, could be a money problem, could be a, a stress, but God will always care for the vine. So the question we should be asking ourselves is: Is my life producing fruit for the Lord? Like, is my life a living branch of worship? And the way you can tell this is think about the way that you act. Fruit is evidence, right? Fruit that is the evidence of what's happening inside of your heart. So think about yourself. The way you talk to your coworkers, is it honoring God? Is it fruitful? Is it worship? Would your coworkers be surprised to find out you go to church on Saturday and Sunday, Saturday or Sunday or whatever? Would your coworkers be surprised to find out that you, you've got a Bible in your house? Would they be surprised to know that you listen to Christian music? Do, do they see the fruit or would they be like, oh yeah, that totally makes sense? I could totally see that you're producing fruit. Ask yourself, am I producing things in myself that are, that are helpful to others? Is my family closer to Jesus because I'm involved in that part of their life? Are my friends closer to Jesus because you know, uh, of my relationship with them? Am I growing closer to Jesus every day? Am I cutting things out of my heart and my life that are not good and that are weighing me down? It's really important that we think about our lives and assess, like, where's the fruit Where's the fruit? Where are the parts of your life that are producing fruit? Um, This quote says, Out of the many pictures of the relationship between God and his people, the vine and the branch emphasize complete dependence and the need for constant connection. The branch depends on the vine even more than the sheep depends on the shepherd or the child depends on the father. You think about it like this. You think about, I mean, it makes sense. You're all smart people. You know, the moment you cut something off from a vine, it slowly dies. It's no longer receiving nutrients. I want to change your perspective of a gift. So you know something we do here a lot? When we love, like all the guys in the room, when you love or you really like your wife or your girlfriend or your special someone, you get them flowers. You say, hey, I love you. I care about you. I really like you. Here's some beautiful flowers. You know what's funny about that? You're essentially saying, here's something that's dying. I hope you know I love you and care about you. Hey, make sure you give it fresh water because you got to prolong the suffering process and make sure you give it sunlight because it's slowly dying. We want it to die slower. I've always found, I don't think flowers um, feel anything. Maybe they do. I don't know. But I've always thought that was a funny thing. Because it, it shouldn't resemble... If it resembles love, you got a problem, right? Like, our love's dying. Get her a fake plant that'll last forever. <laughs> um, when we get disconnected from the vine, that's what happens. We slowly... That dying process starts. The process of producing fruit all of a sudden dwindles. And we start producing less and less fruit. When we become disconnected from the vine... We stop being authentic followers of Jesus. And the, the place where this, one of the places where this really matters, I want to talk to the parents in the room for a second. Those of you who have children, your children can tell when your fruit is fake. They can tell when you have a real apple at church and you go home and it's plastic. And when they taste it, it tastes rotten. It tastes moldy. It's disgusting to them. Because they say, how come you're so happy and how come you're so, you know, whatever at church? How come you put on the right face at church? But when we're at home, you're a completely different person. In my years I've spent in student ministry um, with middle and high school students, one of the things I've heard from them is they struggle with wanting to be at church because they see the fake fruit everywhere else. They see mom and dad aren't the same at home. You don't even know what they're like at home. And for them, it's like, why would I want any part of that? If you want your kids to love Jesus, model it. If you want your, your children to want to be at church, to, to love the church, guess what? You got to be authentic at home. The fruit that's produced here, you got to produce it there. And the same goes for your spouses, for your family, for your coworkers. It's the same thing. The problem is we can't be you know, producing this Fake fruit. we got to be authentic and real. Um, Colossians, I'm going to get more into that here in a second. I I jumped into that a little early. Um, Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him. Verse 7, what's that first word there? It says, rooted. Yeah, rooted and built up in Him. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. To be rooted in Jesus means you're feeding yourself on the things of Jesus. It means, to be rooted in Jesus means you spend time in God's word every day. Every day. You spend time in prayer every day. Every day. You spend time with Jesus. To be rooted in him means you you worship more than just on Sunday and Saturday. It means that you worship daily. And the worship doesn't always have to be light the candles, turn the lights down, or you know, turn on the worship music and just get yourself in like a, a a state. Like you can worship Jesus at work. You can worship Jesus while you're doing laundry. You can worship Jesus while you're sitting at the table. It needs to be part of your daily life. To be rooted means you're always in it. You don't like step into it and then step out of it and then step back into it. It's it's Paul talks about this idea of prayer without ceasing, being constantly in this place with God. And this fruit that we're really talking about is found in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. It says, But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When we talk about the fruits, this is what we're talking about. Now I want to address the the skeptics in the room. There might be skeptics here that are saying, hold, hold on, wait a minute. I have met some Christians. I know some Christians who are terrible at this. I know that there are people who read this and they think, um, I have non-Christian friends who are way more loving, way more patient, way more kind, way more generous than my Christian friends. Why is this? This is a problem. Because as Christians... Followers of God, supposed to be fruitful people displaying God's goodness in the world. And if we are not doing that, if we are bad examples of love, then what are we doing? If you've been hurt, you've been wronged by someone who's been pawning off fake fruit, telling you it's real. You know what breaks my heart is there are people who will not, at this point in their lives, set foot in a church Read a Bible because they've been burned by Christians who have given them moldy fruit. If you ate a moldy orange, would you be like excited to eat another orange again? You'd be thinking back to that time when that thing was green and growing fuzzies, and you'd be like, that, that would be on your mind. So Christians in the room. I want to talk to you for a second. If you are not rooted, if you are not abiding in the presence of Jesus, you are in a dangerous place of pawning off fake fruit and pretending it's real. And you're only hurting the soil. You're only hurting the soil. The problem with people who call themselves Christians but aren't producing fruit, it's really simple. They're not abiding in Jesus. They're like, I said the prayer when I was 12, and I believe in Jesus, and I go to church. But they're not abiding. They're not surrendered. They're not humbled. And that's a dangerous place to be. Christians, don't be the reason that, somebody, that someone wants nothing to do with Jesus. We have this incredible responsibility <laughs> to be rooted and established in the word of God. We have a responsibility to be authentic, to be loving. Now you're not going to be perfect, but when you mess up, you go and ask for forgiveness. Don't be afraid to apologize. Let down your pride and say, that was my fault. I was in the wrong. I had a bad day. A lot of bad stuff happened. And I was just in a bad mood and you caught me at a bad time. Will you please forgive me? Like don't lose the art of forgiveness. That can bandage up wounds pretty quickly. Be authentic. Parents, apologize to your kids. They need to hear you. Apologize to them. Mommy was wrong. Daddy was wrong. Please forgive me. We need to be producing authentic fruit. Don't be the reason someone wants nothing to do with Jesus. I would say this. The most dangerous person is someone who claims to be Christian but are completely disconnected from the vine. Dangerous. Hurtful killing the soil. And here's the really sad thing. When people taste that real, genuine, delicious mango from the vine of Jesus, it's irresistible. And they want more of it. So we as Christians, as followers of Christ... Our job, our calling, why we're here in these chairs right now is because we're, we're getting filled with, with knowledge with the Holy Spirit so that we can go out and build the kingdom of God. That's why you are here. You're not here to just sit, listen, and leave. There's a whole lot more that God is calling of us. Think about it like this. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. We bear fruit. Who enjoys fruit? Everyone else. Everyone else needs to be enjoying the fruit. So you are here to be nourished, to be filled, to be prepared to then go out. All of us are missionaries. You're a missionary. You're a modern day missionary in your community. Don't hide it. You got some grapes? Share them. Share them. Let people see the goodness of God. Church is a good thing. God's word is a good thing. Worship is a good thing. Don't hide it. Share it. Be authentic. Have real, genuine fruit for people. There are two types of of pruning um, that I want to talk about because it's relevant. Guys, we're only two verses into this. Um, I promise I'll get us through. There's a lot of good stuff here. Um, But there's two types of pruning that were kind of done in in these ancient times, and I, I believe a lot of them are still done today. But there were two processes. The first one's removal and the second one's cleansing. Cleansing can also be translated uh, pruning. Okay? So there's removal and there's, there's cleansing. The removal, this happened in the early spring in February or March. And the gardener, the vine dresser, those who were working in the vineyards, they would go out and they would examine all the vineyards in February or March and they would cut off any of the dead wood that was there. The wood that had no chance, it wasn't going to produce any fruit, um, it was dead. They'd cut it off. Then later on, when the when the blossoms had become ripening grapes, and this happened in August, they would go out again, and then they would re-examine, and then they would cleanse. This was just like the little small edits that needed to be made. There were just these little shoots that were coming, but they weren't producing any blossoms. They weren't producing any fruit, so they would just cut those things. There's this process that God does in us, and I believe it's removal and refining. There's certain things that need to be completely removed. And there's things that just need to be refined. There's sins in our lives that need to be completely removed from us. And then there's parts of us that just need to be just trimmed back a little bit so that more fruit can grow. And God's interested in both processes in you. He wants to remove and he wants to refine. He wants to help you become better and stronger. And again, this is in verse chap, or chapter 15, verse 2. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. He's, he wants to... Prune. He wants to cleanse you of your sin and of of the things of you that are not producing fruit. And here's the truth. Chances are you are inviting something in your life that God wants to cleanse out of your life. But we have a tendency to guard certain things. We have a tendency to say this is just part of me. I'm always going to have this anger problem. I've tried to work through it and I can't. I've tried and it's not going anywhere. I've, I've sought help. I've done what I can. I just get angry. This is just part of me. So when God tries to remove, we're like, shh, there's no chance. We've like lost faith or we've lost hope. Or, or maybe it's something that you just feel like you just need it. You're like, God, you can have every other part of me, but this part of me is stays. I need this part of me. This, this is just who I am. I don't know if I can ever stop doing this. We tend to guard certain things. And God wants to prune, but, but God is patient. He's patient and he waits. The reality of pruning is it requires sacrifice and hard work and discipline. Pruning is difficult and painful. Jennifer Kennedy Dean, she said, Isn't it interesting that the branch bearing much fruit gets not protected, not babied, not put in a dust-proof display cabinet for all to admire, but pruned, cut back, injured. And why? So that it can bear more fruit. So here's the, the side of this pruning that we haven't really talked a whole lot about yet, and it's this: it requires work from you. Requires sacrifice from you. It requires prayer, but it also requires like taking actual steps and like doing things to get rid of that part of your life that you don't like. There's a, there's a, a partnership and a process that like if you want to quit that, okay, then, then what are you doing to quit that? Keep praying and, and surround yourself with people who can help you and give you strength. But it requires work. It requires sacrifice. It requires intentionality from you. Those who are walking the closest with the Lord are close because they've been pruned of everything else. They've walked that road. They've done the work. They've had the hard um, conversations. They sought the counseling. They got the professional help. They did the work. They put in the work. They did the sacrifice. They asked for prayer. They did the work. And God prunes and removes. Yeah. Um, Pruning requires you to go to a place of surrender and submission to whatever God desires for you. It's this attitude, this posture of saying, God, um, search me. God, you can have everything, everything. I surrender completely everything to you. And until you reach that place, until you reach a place of full surrender, I don't know if you're ever going to be ready to prune that out of your life. You're not going to wake up one day and it's magically going to be gone. I hate to break it to you. Now, God can heal. I'll say that. God can heal in an instant. He can do it. I believe it. He also sometimes waits. Also wants us to put in the work. Um, You will never reach your potential until you remove the dead wood that's sucking the life out of your soul. Until you recognize it as a problem and remove it out of your life, you will never reach your full potential. You will stay where you're at. But God wants more for you. Do you want more for you? God wants more for you. And it requires you to get to this place uh, that we see in Psalm chapter 139. It's a beautiful prayer. Verse 23 and 24 says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is a prayer of humility. This is a prayer of surrender. This is a prayer that says, God, search me. Know me. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. It's this prayer of being intentional with God and saying, God, I want you to know that I want you to have all of me and I'm ready to surrender that part of my life, all of my life to you. And God, I'm asking you to search me. God, I'm asking you to know me. God, I'm asking you to lead me. If you haven't reached that place of surrender yet, what are you waiting for? Some of you have been battling certain sins and addictions for a long time. Some of you have sins and, and guilt that you don't even want to tell your closest friend about. And the reality is, it's not going to go away. That branch over here that's not bearing fruit, the gardener can see it. He's like, Oh, if you would just let me. I got my clippers. I just want to remove that so bad. But he's patient and he waits. But that branch will continue to absorb nutrients. It will continue to absorb your energy. It will continue to absorb your thoughts. That energy bucket you have, it's it's limited. It's not unlimited. And those, those, those parts of you that are wrong, that are sinful, God's aware of them. And he's like, let me have that. Give that to me because God, as the vine dresser, as the gardener, has a vision for what you can be, has a vision for who he wants you to be. But he needs you to surrender and be willing to say, God, shape me. Make me who you want me to be. I want to be used by you. Are you ready? You need to ask yourself, are you ready to do this thing? Are you ready to finally surrender that thing? Are you ready to stop giving energy to that branch that you know is not good for you, that you know is not bearing any fruit, that you know that is hurtful, harmful? Jesus says in verse 4, he says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine." Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It's a simple promise that God says, look, I'm ready to remain in you. I'm abiding in you already. The question is, are you ready to remain in me? Are you ready to abide with me? Are you ready to do life with me? Are you ready to stop pretending? Are you ready to stop growing fake fruit that everybody knows is fake? You can make that apple look as real as you want. Everybody knows it's fake. You're not fooling anybody. And God, as the gardener, wants to cut it off of you that scotch taped plastic apple you got attached to you we all see the tape (laughs) like and god's just ready to prune you he's ready to remain in you are you ready to remain in him i want to close today with this thought i want you to think about this if god is willing to put in the effort to prune you that means he has a vision Of what you can be of who you can be and he's the only one who knows how to shape you into that person so where God wants to prune let him prune let him prune let him shape you let him have his way because God sees your potential God already sees this picture of this person that he's created you to be and he's waiting for you to have that prayer in Psalm 139 of God search me and know me and test me and know my anxious thoughts And lead me. So the question is, are you ready? Are you ready to let go? To clip that branch? To get rid of that part of you, that sin, that problem, that desire, that whatever it is that's holding you back. God says it's time. And I'm ready. I'm ready. Are you willing? I want to... close us in, uh, in prayer today. Um, I want to tell you this, though. God is ready to do a work in your life. God is ready. He's got a vision for this person He's created you to be. And He's ready to prune you. When are you going to be done playing games? When are you going to be done doing it your own way? When are you going to be done continuing to give energy to this addiction, this sin, this part of you that you know is wrong. That you know is holding you back. I know you want to grow closer to the Lord. Well, put in the work, put in the work, allow God to have his way. Say a prayer where you just like fully surrender everything to God. Now let's pray together. Heavenly father, um, I thank you that you are the gardener. (laughs) I thank you that you see our fullest potential. I thank you that you see the, the person that you want us to be. And I thank you, God, that you're willing to put in the work, put in the effort, do whatever you need to do to cleanse us, to prepare us, to shape us, to mold us into how you want this branch to look. So I pray for this, those of us in the room who are ready to take that step, who are ready to finally cut this branch off for real, to be done with it. God, would you do a mighty work in hearts right now? I wanna pray for the person who's here today who wants to surrender their life to you, who wants to connect to the vine, who wants to do their best to honor you and serve you and follow you. If that's you today, if you want to accept Jesus for the first time in your life, or maybe it's been a while and you want to just recommit your life to Jesus, I encourage you, say this prayer with me. You say it to yourself. You can say, Jesus, I give you my life. I confess my sin to you. I ask you to forgive me. Lord, would you please give me a clean slate? There's some things I've done, I've thought, I've lived, that I'm just not proud of. So as best as I know how right now, Jesus, I'm asking you for help. I want to get rid of this branch, but I need your help. I choose to follow you as my Lord and Savior. Starting today, I want to produce fruit for you. Thank you, Jesus, for the way you're working in hearts in this room right now. I pray, Lord, you continue to work in every heart, every soul. Continue to draw people in. Continue to remind people of your goodness, your grace, your mercy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.